this conversation. I'm Alex Salzberg. I am the host of this podcast and other things. This is a bonus episode. If you're hearing this, I am probably taking care of a newborn child by now. And, you know, it could be a couple weeks before I have the time and energy and sleep to get another interview episode out. But I had the idea to put out a bonus episode called We Loved Your Conversation Leftovers. Because in the previous audience submission episodes uh, that I co-hosted with guest co-hosts, I made the mistake. Not a mistake. It was nice. But I I promised uh, that everyone's question would eventually be answered or addressed. And I'm a man of my word. So in the interest of kind of wrapping up loose ends before my child arrives, not that I'm never going to have new loose ends. I mean, is childhood not just one big loose end? In the spirit of wrapping up loose ends, I have collected, I think, all of the questions that we did not get to in the previous episodes, and I'm going to address them as best I can, and hopefully it will still be enjoyable and or informative and or inspiring without the slumber party energy of having a guest co-host. So here we go. We loved your conversation leftovers. It's it's nighttime. It's like really quiet here. I'm renting an office near my house and no one's here. So an alternate title could be, We Love Your Conversation Nights. Okay, so these are in no particular order and I haven't looked at these in a while. So here we go. So a confused crystal submitted this to the what they're going through category. I've been in limbo since quarantine on whether I'd prefer my art to be a profession or a hobby. Quarantine forced me to realize I had been using quote-unquote the grind to avoid moving forward with my mental health. Now without the association of mental avoidance to make art, I find myself lacking the same urge that I used to. Technically a good thing, but I feel like I lost some of that creative drive and I'm trying to find a new, more sustainable creative emotion. So far, joy and happiness creates art at a more relaxed pace than anxiety and anger. A confused crystal. I don't totally understand the timeline or the part about the grind, but I think I I generally understand that you were making a lot of art during a period where you were not necessarily taking care of your mental health. And now that you've been taking care of your mental health and as a result experiencing a lot more joy and happiness, that you feel like a sort of weird, possibly bummer side effect of that is that you're not creating as much art as you were. That's tough. I, You know, there's this narrative about the mentally ill artist that that's what drives art is just sort of mental illness and angst and depression. And, you know, we have all these pop culture figures like Van Gogh or insert a more current figure than Van Gogh here. But I would say two things. One, it's okay if you're making art at a more relaxed pace. Don't conflate the pace in which you're making art with whether or not it's worth making art or whether or not you are quote-unquote productive at making art and all of that. And two, I think these things come in waves. I think you will have another fertile period of creating art and it will potentially be a result out of all the work you've done on your mental health. I used to also feel like I needed to be a little bit broken to create all the art that I was wanted to create. And I've learned through doing lots of work on myself that that A, never totally fixes you. So you'll always have some anxiety and anger or whatever you're going through to draw upon. But what it does do is it, it makes those things take so much less energy. So there will be periods when you can still fuel art 
with all of the emotions, the entire rainbow of emotions that you feel. But the negative emotions won't drain all your energy and you'll actually be able to create more art than ever before. I hope that makes sense. As for whether your art should be your profession or your hobby, that, that's a very personal thing. I think I mentioned this on another episode, but when art becomes your profession, when your hobby becomes your profession, it's really a trade-off. You really get to do it so much more, and that's something I'm so grateful for. But you do have to leave behind the more pure and innocent relationship that you had with that art form. If you really want to have just like a really pure, uncomplicated relationship with your art form, that might make more sense to be a hobby. That's the relationship that I have with cooking, which is my biggest hobby. It's really uncomplicated. <laughs> I, I make food, I enjoy making the food, and then I eat the food and I share the food with other people. And there are really no more layers to it than that. If I cook poorly, I'm only a little bit disappointed. But if I cook well, I'm really, really happy. I don't have time to go into all the layers that there are for animation, which is my profession, but there are hundreds of layers Some of them are so, so, so positive and so incredible. And some of them are so stressful. And I don't think animation will ever be not layered for me. Maybe those are things you can think about if you relate to any of that as you decide to make your art a profession or a hobby. Thanks, Crystal. All right, this is another entry someone had into the what they're going through in their creative life category. Oh, this one's a doozy. Oh, boy. I'm really concerned about AI creeping into creative fields. While it's mostly being used by people outside of creative industries as kind of a novelty, a lot of my peers are beginning to use it in ways that clearly aim to push artists out of jobs. I find the entire thing gross, especially given that these AIs are trained on the work humans create. On the one hand, I feel encouraged to try harder at learning new skills, if only to spite the machines. On the other hand, it's hard not to feel discouraged at the world's indifference to the prospect of giving up what makes us most human the process of creating expression, to systems that can pump out an endless slurry of content. And that is from someone who goes by, not an AI, I swear. Oh, sure, you're not. If you could just do me a favor and find all the traffic lights in this 3 by 3 grid, that would really prove it for me. Um, Boy, this is tough. I think a lot of us are feeling this. This was submitted a while ago, but um, AI has been talked about a lot in the wake of the uh, WGA and SAG strikes because it's something that they are feeling strongly about, um, mainly because the, oh God, what, what are they called? The AM, AMPM? No, it's a convenience store in Tel Aviv. The, uh, you know, the people representing the executives, they are refusing to give up any rights to play around with this AI technology. And that can be a little scary. So I feel you. There are elements of it that feel gross. I just have this general feeling of dread that sometimes happens when there is a new technology that's going to change things a lot. A few things I try to tell myself when I'm worried about this. One, I think that in 20 years, there will be really crazy, horrible, regretful things that happen because of AI. And really interesting, cool, new, helpful things that happen because of AI. I hope it's more of the second one, but you know, there can be a lot of greed around these things. So maybe it'll be more of the first. Either way, I think all of those things in 20 years are going to be very different than the things we are worried about right now. That said, in the moment, I think a lot of us creative people are feeling this weird sense of doom and gloom because the people who will always want to find shortcuts and ways to cut creative people out of the equation, or at least I I think people want to work with creative people, but there's a lot of people who prioritize even more so not wanting to pay creative people. They are going to always be the first ones to jump on stuff like this, right? I I saw an ad the other day. This is real. 
they were looking for a quote-unquote AI cartoonist. They basically used that phrase as if they could magically will that into existence, as if that already existed. And upon reading the, the job posting, what they were actually just looking for was a cartoonist who was willing to willing to use AI somehow magically. They, this person writing the job posting obviously didn't understand how to create cartoons more quickly. And they use the word quickly over and over again. And quickly translates to, I don't want to pay what a normal cartoonist would pay. So I'd rather pay a cartoonist who will do half the work and let the computer do the other half of the work. It's a little scary out there. I don't want to be doom and gloom about it. I don't know if you've been following any um, interviews or podcasts with Adam Conover. He is a writer and a comedian. He's been in the public eye a lot lately because he uh, has been representing the WGA uh, publicly during the strikes and doing a lot of talking about that. He has a lot to say about AI, and it's actually kind of comforting to listen to him because he feels the technology itself is not actually as far along as people make it out to be, that it is really just a fancy way to copy stuff. So anyway, maybe listening to him would help you feel better. Um, oh, and then, okay, this person, not an AI, I swear. They also submitted to the the advice part of We Love Your Conversation. How to best discuss the topic of AI with others in my industry in a constructive manner without coming off as preachy. I think it is important to make sure that you are not turning AI itself, the new emerging technology itself, into a moral issue. So that doesn't mean that you can't point out when AI is being used in a way that you feel is unethical. But try to be open-minded to other people talking about AI and their perspectives on it without ascribing a morality to people who maybe are excited about the technology or people who maybe don't understand the technology the same way you do, or who don't have the same fears about it. I think you should definitely express what you feel is unethical. For instance, you can make it very clear that your perspective is that you don't want you know, industries to use AI models that steal from artists' content, or you don't want people to use them to underpay people or whatever, right? I, I would agree with both of those things. But I think what starts to happen and I, and I hate to say that it happens more online, but it does. People are really quick to ascribe a morality to just a whole thing. And then that's when the conversations aren't constructive anymore. So I hope that makes sense. Okay, another one, maybe kind of in the same vein. Anonymator writes in the uh, what they're going through section, I'm frustrated that company mergers, tax savings, and restructuring are crushing productions of meaningful and deep stories. We talk about an industry that is thriving and open to new ideas, but seeing the amount of monopolies growing as a result makes me feel discouraged and sometimes helpless as a small creator looking to grow, especially after seeing so many layoffs at said companies. I want to tell impactful stories, but sometimes I feel like it will never happen without having a ton of money behind it, and even then, it's not guaranteed to finish. Anonymator. Oh boy, that's heavy. I'm guessing you are in the animation industry. Oh yeah, Anonimator, that makes sense. That's a good, I like that. I think we've, I think we've had you before on our, on our pod. Ooh, yeah, I mean, I guess this section, the going through section is not necessarily where I'm supposed to give any advice. Just sort of want to be here with you and hear what you're going through because probably other people are going through it. I definitely really relate to letting the macro stuff going on in art, in animation, in my industry, in entertainment 
kind of get me down about the day-to-day work that I'm doing because, you know, sometimes our day-to-day work has these cool far-off goals in mind. Maybe you want to make a animated show or something, right? And if you start to feel like that goal is less and less possible, it can be hard to motivate ourselves. I, I think this actually really relates to what not an AI, I swear, is going through, right? It's these these big macro issues. And then we're trying to also just make our stuff day to day. So I feel you. When I was in college, I really, really wanted to be a 2D animator. I'd grown up watching cartoon animation. I was inspired by the whole history of all the Disney and then all those 90s Saturday morning cartoons and Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. And that was my dream to work in that world. I loved drawing. And when I got to college, which was in 2004, that was right around when Pixar was becoming really popular and DreamWorks as well. And I I loved the movies by both of those studios. But because those movies were doing really well, there was just lots of talk by companies and then by the industry as a whole, by executives. There was lots of talk about the death of 2D animation. Disney even sort of shuttered the doors of their 2D animation studio for a while. A lot of 2D animators that I admired started moving into 3D. And again, I love the art form of 3D animation, but it was not what I wanted to do. And I took a couple 3D animation classes because I felt like I had to, and not for me. And that's okay. That was depressing, but I stuck with 2D animation, and not only has 2D animation returned, maybe not in feature animation, but there are a lot of 2D animated television shows and a lot of 2D animated advertisements, and the internet really saw a rise in 2D animation. And then there's also still 2D animated games motion graphics, all this stuff, right? It came back. So that's not to say that all these things you're worried about aren't real. They're very real. And I understand how they can get you down. Um, But just remember that there are waves. And I think if you are someone who is really dedicated to telling impactful stories, you will get to do that at some point. You just have to focus on the day-to-day, focus on telling stories, and focus on the core of what you want to do. Because yes, Maybe you won't get to tell impactful stories in the same way that you expected to. I'm not doing 2D animation on a feature for Disney, but I am doing 2D animation almost every day. And I hope you get to tell impactful stories almost every day too, if that's what you want to do. Okay, this is one that someone submitted for advice. I'm experiencing a bit of artistic self-doubt slash writer's block. I've started several projects, but lost confidence in the middle. Any suggestions as to how to overcome this and... I love your sign-off name, Sir Overthinketh. I am honored to be in the presence of Sir Overthinketh. I bow to you, for you are me. A few things that sometimes help me. One is to look back at some of your old work, if you have it, if you have a body of work. This may not work for you. You may look back and be like, oh God, I'm worse than I thought, if you're in that mode. But for me, sometimes when I look at projects that are old enough, like five years old or more, the reminder of just like how fun it was to create those things helps me keep going and helps me get confidence. And actually, usually really old work is better than you thought it was. Now, if that doesn't work, something else I suggest is um, doing a project where you can see the improvement. Some people do that by doing a sort of like of the day project if they have time. I have been feeling really confident right now because I've been doing this podcast for a year and putting out an episode every two weeks. And I can really see myself improving at that art form. You're going to have to tailor this to how much time you actually have to spend on art. Maybe it's just like a doodle every day. (laughs) Maybe it's just, um, well, if you're a writer, maybe it's just a page every day. 
I know uh, there's a, a process called Morning Pages. I, I haven't read that book yet. I need to read it the artist's way, but I, I know that's helped a lot of people too. The next one is another piece of advice. Seeking Creative Space wants to know how to stay present in creative practice even when you're not immersed in it or can't prioritize time for it. Oof. Um, this is probably a question I'm asking from the future as I'm on my little paternity leave and wishing I was using some of that time while the baby was napping to make art instead of just napping myself. I guess my advice for this is kind of built into the question, which is annoying to you seeking creative space, but I would say you do have to prioritize time for it. Just think differently about that time. Um, Nancy Shern in the episode, I know I'm referencing my own podcast, but Nancy Shern in her episode um, talked about in, in the 1960s, she had four kids, and that was a time when she was really expected to be a housewife and be home with those kids. So she had two hours a day when all four of her kids happened to be at daycare or preschool or kindergarten, and those were her two hours to create art. For you, maybe that time is even less than two hours. Maybe it's five minutes. Um, Maybe it's 10 seconds a day. Maybe it's just a little exercise. I don't know what your art form is or how long it takes, but hopefully there's some version of it that can be short. Because, I don't know, I found that the times that I'm waiting to have the time and energy to do something are the times when I'm least likely to do it. You kind of almost have to circumvent that and be like, okay, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I'm exhausted from my day job or my children or whatever, but I'm going to set aside this chunk of time to work on it. So hopefully that helps. I'm sorry to answer your question with the thing that you said you can't do, but try it. Let me know how it goes. And then if it doesn't work, you can be mad at me. All right. This is from the random questions portion. And this is from Anonimator. And this is three potentially separate questions. Okay. So the first question is, how do you get your independent projects funded? The second question is, what have you learned from working on projects by yourself versus collaborating with a team? And the third is, what would you like to see change in the industry? I'm going to answer the third one first with a disclaimer that I think I'm in the animation world. I don't feel always so connected to the industry. I have a lot of friends in the industry, but I myself am pretty independent from there. I have kind of my own studio. The work I do is often for clients who are not part of the general film and animation industry, although there are some huge exceptions to that. So I shouldn't say I'm totally disconnected, but my answer to that is is really simple. And it's in line with the WGA strikes and the SAG strikes. Like, I just think, I just think everyone needs to get paid more, especially by studios and companies that have the money to do it. I would love to see the people with the most power raising the value of the work because it's really, really hard for us. And I'm saying us, but I have some power too because I hire people and and I'm trying to also pay people more and more and raise that value as best I can because I think it's important. But those of us who are closer to the bottom, who have the least power in the industry, and I'll just say like the general art and entertainment industry, we're often putting the pressure on ourselves to value our work. We talk so much about make sure you charge enough and don't undervalue yourself. And if you do, you're screwing over other animators. But it's like, we're just trying to, (laughs) we're just trying to make art and get through it and and make a living. And sometimes you have to charge less to do that. And so look, I I try to be pretty um, big on pushing myself to value myself too. But I'd like to see the people who actually have the power and resources to do that, do that. And I think we know 
from all of history that they're not usually going to do that on their own, which is why I think it's great that there are these big creative unions striking and pushing for that. All right, the other two questions. How do you get your independent projects funded? I think they're talking about um, like the projects I do that are not for clients. I've really only done a few really in, like big independent projects. I, I've done some projects where it's just been money that I've saved up from my work as an animator. And I've tried to do things on a really big shoestring. And that's a little easier to do earlier in your career when you're part of like a creative community that can kind of rally around a project. So I had a lot of people help me out on an earlier independent project. You know, I actually owe a lot of favors to a lot of animators, and I hope I get to help them on their independent projects too. More recent projects, um, I guess I'll, I'll be really honest. I've approached friends who have money, and not all of us have friends who have money. So that is a privilege I have, that I'm lucky enough to have friends who have more money than me <laughs> and uh, are in my network that I'm connected with. But yeah, think of people in your life who are not creative, but love creativity and want to feel creative. That's the thing. People really love to live vicariously through a creative project. So you'd be surprised how excited someone might be. And then when you are pitching these people, whether it's a friend, a family member, someone in your community who you think maybe has the money to fund a project, maybe it's a few people. When you are doing that, take it really seriously and make sure it's a project that is worth it because you really only get to ask once. So make sure it's a project you really care about. And I think the same is true if you're going to go some of the other crowdfunding routes like Kickstarter or GoFundMe or things like that. Don't waste the big asks on projects that you don't care about. If that doesn't work, just uh, ask my rich friends. I'm just kidding. Oh God. What have you learned from working on projects by yourself versus collaborating with a team? So that's the third question in the potentially separate questions from an automator. Having a team, I guess most of the time that I work with a team, I'm on top of that team because I have my own studio. Having a team is necessary if you want to make huge projects that you want to get done in less than a year or two. So you need other people to help you. You need help. Delegating can be really important for that. It does not make your life necessarily less stressful. It does not take less energy And at times it can be more stressful and take more energy. Some of the times I've been really stressed out have been the times when I've been managing bigger teams. And I'm talking about teams that are really good. People that I really like their work and they're doing a really good job. Just the mental energy of making decisions at a pace that people need them, answering questions at a pace that people need them, making sure everyone is paid and feeling valued and has everything they need is a lot of mental energy. And then when I work on projects by myself, It's actually kind of rare, but I guess what I've learned is it's important still to have a deadline because without a team, you don't have as much built-in urgency. So if I'm doing something just by myself, like this podcast, it's important to have built-in deadlines if you want to get it done. If it's just something that you want to kind of grind away at, then that's cool too. Does that answer the three potentially separate questions? God, is this episode any good? Does anyone want to hear me talk this long? Do I seem tired? W-L-Y-C nights. By the time you're hearing this, I'm even more tired and a zombie probably, but probably also hopefully enjoying having a baby. Okay. Stressed in Quincy writes for random questions. What's one of your favorite go-to things to do for yourself when you're feeling burnt out? I don't have a deep answer to this. I just like to have kind of a 
kind of a nap day, kind of a blow off day, kind of a cozy day. The last time I really had any like major hangovers was college or maybe right after. I always secretly kind of liked hangovers, not the nausea or headaches, but I liked the excuse like the day after a party or a big night out. I liked the excuse to just like blow off the day. I liked that it was socially acceptable at that time in my life, at least in the circle I was in and the apartment I lived in, for us all to just like curl up on the couch with little blankies and eat greasy food and nap on and off all day and watch movies. Turns out you can just do that without binge drinking the night before. And so really my favorite thing these days when I'm feeling burnt out is to kind of just have a hangover style day. I did it the other day and I found that the next day I feel pretty um, pretty recharged after. So I'm really just describing sleep and rest, but I try to like really indulge in the coziness of it. Not an AI, I swear. Welcome back. Has a great random question. How to best kill a sentient robot? Huh. I mean, this begs a different question, which is if the robot is truly sentient, then the question isn't how to kill the robot. I mean, I'm sure there's any number of ways. Drowning, for sure. I mean, that has certainly killed some of my iPhones. The question is, how do you live with yourself after killing a sentient robot, knowing that you killed a sentient being? And I don't know the answer to that, so I'm probably never going to kill a robot. (laughs) Um, But good luck. Okay. Wild Child Taterbug writes... This is a deep one, wild child. I'm curious if, as a working artist, you are able to discern when and how you're creating for a client and income, and when you're creating for self and joy, and how often that can meld, and how important or not important it is to consciously separate the two. It's kind of not that important to me. I really like doing client work, and I've also worked really intentionally to build a base of clients and a business that brings me a high percentage, not all of it, but a high percentage of really creative client work that is really tailored to my skills and my um, sensibilities. So it's pretty melded for me. I try to bring a lot of myself into my client work. I try to bring a lot of joy in my client work. And that said, sometimes when you do get to do things just for yourself, without any gatekeepers, without any clients, it can feel especially joyful. But I think that answers your question, but yeah, they're pretty melded for me in a way that's really positive, and I'm really grateful for that, and I encourage anyone who does a lot of client work to, I know it can be sometimes annoying to put so much of yourself and so much of your energy and your soul into something that you may not even own, but it feels really good if they're paying you well. Jesse S., aka Busy in Birmingham, has an advice question. How to best record and share creative output that is made slowly over the course of years of nights and weekends, and how to best pick it up after potentially weeks or months away. I'm not good at the recording and sharing part. When I'm in a project, I tend to be really bad at recording it in a way that makes it shareable. I'm bad at sharing on social media. I'm bad at posting behind the scenes content. I'm bad at posting previews and works in progress. I'm just not good about that. I'm not saying I don't want to be good about it, but I I don't know if I have good advice for that. I apologize. In terms of picking it up after weeks or months away, it's kind of the same as all that advice. Like you just have to put aside time. Just don't pick it up because you feel like you have to. It's okay to have unfinished projects. Even if you've thought about something for years and years, if you don't want to do it right now, you don't have to. But if you're picking it up because you're feeling some renewed excitement about it, The best advice I can give you is just don't shame yourself for how many months or years or weeks it's been. Just get back into it. Nobody else knows 
how old this idea is or how long it's been. I mean, unless you've told people, but they're your friends. So they love you. <sighs> WLYC Nights. Oh, Wild Child, this is another deep one. What do you consider art? What do you consider creating? I love hearing various folks' definitions of this. Wow, Taterbug. It's too late for this. It's actually only 8 o'clock. I'm just really tired. That bodes well for <laughs> for having a baby soon. Um, I mean, my definition of art is really broad. I think something being an art form has more to do with like how someone approaches it than, than like what it is. So teaching, for instance, I approach teaching like an art form in the way that I try to bring the same creative energy to it and innovation and all the things that I would bring to other kinds of art, whereas other people might treat teaching in a different way. Creating, I think, is really broad. I think we're all creating. But yeah, I, I, I guess I have broad definitions of both. I have broad definitions of who is creative. And this podcast, right, is about creative people. And you can tell if you go back in the archives, like I've had scientists on here. So does that answer your question, Taterbug? Uh, what is art? How do I answer that? Oh, my God. Okay. Diddley Klopman of the Manhattan Klopmans. Call back. How do you celebrate creative accomplishments? I think the best way to celebrate a creative accomplishment is to share it publicly. I found that it feels infinitely better to share a film to a theater of 20 people than it does to get 500 likes on Instagram or even a thousand likes if I were ever to dream of that many likes. Whatever your art form is, whatever to whatever degree you can share it, if you're trying to mark the end of a big project especially, I would find a way to share it publicly. And by publicly, that doesn't mean it has to be like out on the out on these streets, right? Like invite five friends over to do a screening of your film or do a reading of your screenplay or novel or short story. Try to find a space to put up some of your visual art. If you're a chef, you know, have people over for dinner. <laughs> Whatever it is, share it with people. And it doesn't matter if it's like the general public. You don't have to sell tickets. Share it with people you love. It just feels good for everyone to celebrate. It really marks the time. I did that really recently with a big project that I've been working a year on. I had the whole crew of animators who worked on it come to a movie theater and we watched it. And it was really, I, I don't even know how to describe to you how fulfilling it was, but creating art can be so anticlimactic so if you can like have some kind of party some kind of celebration that is in person or at the very least if not in person momentous enough to feel like it's marking the occasion i highly recommend that okay this is a question from mitch when did you realize you were getting paid or charging what you believe you're worth or is this something you still ponder are you afraid to ask for more do you feel cozy or on edge just interested well, thanks, Mitch. Um, I definitely still ponder it. I think I'm not quite there yet. I do feel like the goalposts are always moving. I think I'm now charging enough to pay my bills, but I think I'm still bad at charging enough to account for contingencies or changes in projects. So the last project I did, the budget looked pretty good when I thought the project was going to last nine months and have a staff of about 12 people. And as sometimes happens in projects, it lasted 12 months and had a staff of around 18 people. And at that point, it didn't feel like I was charging enough anymore. But, you know, that was what had been agreed upon. And it was not the client's fault that it went on longer or it wasn't anyone's fault, but it, 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 that included it not being the client's fault. So, yeah, I definitely still ponder that. I'm definitely still always thinking about ways to charge enough. I wouldn't say I'm afraid to ask for more. Well, that's not true. 
I'm not afraid to ask for more with new clients because I'm trying to just like sort of move forward and raise my rates. It is harder with clients that I've been working with for years. You're worried it will seem sudden. It's kind of nerve wracking to just be like, oh, now I cost this much. Because you don't want to see that client just walk away, especially if you've had a great relationship. But if you need more money, you need more money, you know? Uh, I definitely don't feel cozy with what I'm charging. I would love to feel cozy. That's a good goal. I actually like that word. It's not that I want to feel rich. I want to feel cozy in a bed of money. Okay, we're almost done with W-L-Y-C nights. Leftovers. All right, there's another, I guess it's either advice or a random question, but how to keep art as a form of self-expression when capitalism has turned it into a stressor. That's burnout, baby, winky face. And then a similar question from Jesse S. Busy in Birmingham is, any recommendations on finding space for personal projects amidst the existential dread of life in 2022? Oh, well, it's now 2023. But you know, everything got better, right, guys? So no dread. Everything's much better. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, burnout baby is maybe more hinting at like that profession versus hobby thing, right? Or maybe it's just the general side effects of living under capitalism, which some of the negatives include a lot of existential dread, as uh, as Jesse S., a.k.a. Busy in Birmingham, hinted at. The, this has been kind of a running theme of this whole episode, right? There's these big forces, and then we all just kind of want to make our art, and it's sometimes really connected, and sometimes it's our profession, and we don't have a choice, and sometimes we have to make money and try to be cozy, and yeah, it's all connecting. It's all coming together. Isn't that beautiful? And scary. The only thing I can think of right now is really uh, just put yourself into your work no matter what. I wish I could wave a wand and live in a utopia, right? Where we could just make art and not have to worry about our basic needs being met. I don't even want to frame that as magic because that should be possible. But yeah, I put yourself into your work. Be an artist, even when you're doing work that is connected with the things that make it harder to be an artist. And then um, for finding time and space amidst the, the existential dread for Jesse S. Busy in Birmingham. I mean, that kind of comes back to, I guess, what I said earlier. And I'm not saying I'm good at it, but focus on the day-to-day. Try your best to separate all those external forces from what you can get done in a day. Because the day is yours. You may not have control over like your whole life and every month and every year. A lot of crazy, scary stuff is going to happen. But most days are yours. Some days or not. <laughs> and uh, that'll probably, I'll probably have a different thing to say about that uh, once I have a baby. But as of now, as of recording this, most days are yours. Okay, two more questions. One is from Burnout Baby Winky Face, another random question. It's, uh, yo, you guys got any cures for insomnia? Okay, uh, I'm guessing Burnout Baby wrote that at 3 a.m. I can't speak to medical insomnia. I, that's like a real thing. I bet there's some extreme versions of that people go through. I'm, I have nothing to say to that. If you're talking about times when you just like can't sleep or you're up in the middle of the night or you're trying to fall back asleep, the annoying thing I've learned is that the phone is bad. And I love going to sleep by looking at TikTok or Instagram or texting my friends who live in other countries and are awake or going down weird internet rabbit holes not the bad kind that radicalized me. I just mean like interesting stuff. <laughs> um, that's all fun. But like if you cannot look at your phone the moment you wake up, you have a much better chance of falling back asleep. But it's probably too late because you probably wrote this question on your phone. Uh, the other thing is 
Also kind of stupid, but just play the alphabet game, come up with a category, animals, bands, whatever. And then just like, so if it's animals, A might be aardvark, B would be bat, camel, dog, elephant, frog. You guys are maybe worried I'm going to go through the whole alphabet right now. I'll stop. But you will find that if you do that in the middle of the night, often you will not make it past M before falling back asleep. And then the last thing is just like, I don't know, get out of bed, go do something else. The worst thing to do is just lie in bed being really mad that you're not asleep and just know you'll be okay. You might be tired the next day, but you'll be okay. And I'm going to return to this question when I am stressed about how little sleep I'm getting with a child. Is it annoying that I keep mentioning having a baby? I I hope I don't turn into one of those parents who's like, ugh, you say goodbye to sleep when you have a kid. That's all. That's the headline. Eh, But maybe I will. We'll see. You can stop listening if I become that guy. Last question. I think it's a good one to end on, actually. That's nice. A confused crystal. We're back around to Crystal, who had the first question. What are some positive emotions that fuel your artwork? I don't know if these are all emotions, but I'm just going to list the things that come to mind. Playfulness, belly laughter, curiosity, inner child, weirdness, darkness. I guess that's maybe not positive, but it is to me. I think darkness can help us process things in a positive way. Enjoy. Okay, let's end it there. Thank you for listening to We Love Your Conversation Leftovers, a.k.a. WLYC Nights. The the podcast will return at some point in the near future with more interviews and guests. So if this was too much me in your ears, we'll tone it down soon. But I feel good. I feel absolved that I got through all your questions so that next time when I have a guest co-host again for one of these, we can start with a whole new crop of questions. So thank you for listening. The music is by Typist, which is my brother Adam's solo project. He also often helps mix these episodes and get them to your ears, although the bonus episodes are all on me. So if this doesn't sound as good, my apologies. Rate, review, do all those things. You can listen to the other We Love Your Conversation episodes if you want to keep the vibes going. And actually, they're a lot more fun because other people are involved. That's all. Thanks for listening to me. Bonus episodes don't have to be as good, right? Right?